0: All right, welcome to The Man Talk Show. I am Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Dr. Kenneth Adams, who is a fully licensed psychologist located in Michigan. He specializes in the areas of child abuse, dysfunctional family systems, sex addiction, and enmeshment. He is the author of numerous peer-reviewed papers, book chapters, and has written the books Silently Seduced and When He's Married to Mom. Whew. So, as you can imagine, <laughs> based on those titles, we're going to get into some stuff today. Uh, I'm going to have Doctor Adams back on the show to talk about sexual addiction in a in a separate podcast. But what we really talk about today is the relationship between man and mom. So we dive deep into the dynamics that a lot of young boys go through and experience when growing up in maybe an uh, you know being the the child of. Uh, a single mom or being a child of a mother who creates an enmeshment-based relationship. So where she prioritizes her own needs uh, above his, sexualizes the young boy, etc. And so we're going to talk about the the impact that that enmeshment has, uh, what it looks like for a lot of men, who have uh, grown up in that environment? How to start to break free from it? What the signs are? Uh, what the you know? What kind of chaos that can be causing within his marriage? And so, even if you don't think that this is, is you, even if you uh, don't think that you had this type of relationship with your mom, this is really incredible information to know and learn and understand. Because what we actually end up talking about is a man's development is a man's coming into his own sense of sovereignty as an adult, uh, and how to develop really healthy relationships with mom, but also as an extension of that, how to develop really healthy relationships with your partner, because some of those same rules apply. So this is a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed some of the insight that Dr. Kenneth Adams had. And so without any further delay, please welcome Dr. Adams. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Connor. Thanks for having me. Likewise likewise I very much appreciate your work and I'm looking forward to diving into this conversation. Before we kind of get into the heart of what we're going to speak about, I have to ask you the question that I have asked I don't know, I guess almost 300 people now <laughs> which is tell us the right. yeah well, tell us the well. de- defining story, defining moment about something that made you who you are today.
1: Wow, that's a, that's a big question. So I've had lots of those, I suppose, and lots of markers along the way. But I have to say when you ask that, I have to say it's becoming a father, And it's an interesting question given our topic today of enmeshment, which is really we'll get into that here momentarily. But the, the opposite of enmeshment is the ability to both connect and let go of your, your kids, right? Let them have their own wings and move out of the way. So I have a 19-year-old son off to college in New York. I live here in Michigan. And uh, so I'm in the middle of this sort of letting go process. So you catch me at a good time. But I have to say that having, being a parent, in spite of the books I've written, practice and, and treatment programs I've created, I, I'd say being a father has no close second in terms of defining for me some of the more meaningful times in my life.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, well said. I I just became a father. I have a 5-month-old. And uh, so I Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I can certainly wow, attest to that. Yeah. Thank you. That's Thank you terrific. so much. Yeah, it's it's really something something special and I'm I'm curious, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe off offline my my initial question that came up was, you know, what is what does your son think about your work and how did you navigate that? Because as somebody that runs runs a company called Talks and does this work with men, I have always sort of looked down the line a little bit and wondered what my son will one day think. And so if you have any tips on how I can navigate the next 19 years, send them over. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah well, just let him let him uh, let them see who you are. i think it's all good actually, my son is one of my uh but well, he's a he's a professional photographer and videographer he's at uh, rochester institute for Technology for for that and uh, so he's done a lot of my work so he has sat in on all my a lot of my uh, interviews and so forth so he's he's tuned right into this stuff and he says, Well, I'm glad that didn't happen to me
0: <laughs> so let them know who you are. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, maybe we can, maybe we can just begin, you know, this, this topic has been something that a lot of people have wanted me to, to address on the show. So, you know, you've really created some incredible content and written an amazing book about this. And so I'm, I'm hoping that you can just maybe define some of the parameters of enmeshment, what it, what it looks like and, and how you see it showing up within individuals. Yeah.
1: That's a good question. So, you know, investment is a term used originally in the family therapy system clinicians, and it refers to one end of how a family functions. And so on one end, we have what's referred to as disconnected families, people who are emotionally close, more transactional, We tend to get kids out of those family systems that don't have a lot of empathy or sensitivity and so forth. The other end is we have too much involvement, too much dependency, too much demands for loyalty and obligation to the parents and their family at a cost of the independence, whereas over here on this end of the continuum, way too much independence and autonomy at the cost of connection. Here, we have way too much connection at the cost of independence and autonomy. So that's, that's where a measurement originally came from, the term. And I've written a couple books, as you know, Silently Seduced and When He's Married to Mom, and have a series of workshops. And what we've begun to notice, is there's a lot of men, and women for that matter, but since we're talking about men here, who have had these over-involvements with their mothers or their mothers have had these over-involvements with them in which this dynamic of too much demand for obligation, too much demand for loyalty, too much dependency. I can't function without you. I have to call you five times a day or text you six times a day to know where you are. I can't let go, right? And so what happens to the young adult, the emerging young man, is that he's torn. Right On one hand, he loves his mother or feels obligated to his mother and doesn't want to hurt her or disappoint her. Maybe she has a bad marriage or maybe there was an early divorce or, or something. On the other hand, he wants his own life. And so he's, he gets into a series of problems because he's tethered to his mother or family at the cost of finding his own place in his journey, which is really his responsibility as well as the parents to support that, and so when we so now I've begun to use the phrase enmeshment to describe these overinvolved, dependent exchanges between mother and son, and we see it across cultures. By the way, even though there are some cultures where we might say enmeshment is more normative, right? First generation in this country, other cultures—you almost always see that. You know, I. I come by some of this topic, honestly. My mother was Hungarian. All all of her family came directly from Hungary. And so, you know, I was, I was you know, I had a first row seat around this enmeshment stuff growing up and, and you know, very warm, very caring, very loving. But boy, it was a labyrinth to get yourself out of there. <clears throat> so that's really how we're using the phrase enmeshment here. And, you know, the term enmeshment, by the way, you probably know this somewhat better than I is being used even more frequently in the culture, you know, lingo, if you be, you're beginning to hear the word enmeshment. So does that does that help in yeah. terms of what you thought?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that gives a, a good foundation for, for everyone tuning in. Maybe, can you speak about some potential misconceptions about about enmeshment? Because I, I think that you're right. I do think that enmeshment, the term and the terminology is is being used a lot. And, you know, in this age where psychology and therapy has entered into the online space, I find it very interesting that a lot of people quickly move to pathologizing what's happening, pathologizing their partner, the relationship. So have you seen any misconceptions around run enmeshment that maybe people should be aware of? And then secondly, for the individuals that are listening to this show, how do they begin to identify whether they fall into that category, whether whether they grew up in that kind of household?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So you may you may have a specific example in mind behind that question and feel free to raise it. it, might even help me. But one of the misconceptions is isn't it normal to be close to your parents? And the short answer is, but of course, and we hope that you have a loving connection and they have one with you. But in the life of an emerging young person, there are transitional spaces in which the the closeness has to make adjustments. So I mentioned to you in the beginning of our, our chatting that, you know, I have a 19-year-old son off to college. And you know, we had a we, we still have a great relationship, but it's different, right? So we're not we're not off the ball field every day playing catch, which we, we did. So he doesn't have the same needs or wants from his father or his mother, as he once did. And if we dare to try to impose that, he, he resists, because he he has an agenda, and his agenda is to be his own man, which, you know, is delightful for me. But one of the misconceptions is, is that in enmeshment, it isn't closeness. It's obligatory assignment to caretake and be there for my mother at the cost of my own life. Well, so there's, there's your line in the sand. I am not, I am obligated out of my role given to me when I had no choice that my mother clinged to me. She told me stories about her loneliness. I saw my parents fight. So now I'm, I'm tethered out of my own sensitive, sensitive temperament or empathic temperament. To tune in to my mother, to constantly take temperature of how she's doing, and then I have nothing left for my partner. So my partner wants me to be available tonight. well i'm I'm exhausted, and I am resentful that you want something from me that my mother took from me earlier in the day. So the line gets crossed when there is an assigned implicit or explicit obligatory contract that you can't go far because I need you. So I want to be clear with you and your audience that that is the line. And anything short of that is problematic. And i like to say recently, and I've learned this from the men, you know, we've had about 600 men from all around the world come into, I a four-day workshop in which we sort of shift these men away from feeling obligation and guilt into freedom. The subtitle of the workshop is Moving from Guilt and Ambivalence to Passion and Purpose, which is interesting because most of these men have severe ambivalence and guilt around many matters and lack passionate direction in their lives. But one of the things I've learned is that sometimes the men don't want to let go. <laughs> they like the golden boy status. They like that I'm the I'm the special one. And what they don't realize is they pay a cost for being the golden boy. So sometimes it's not even the mother hanging out. Sometimes it's the boy, or the young man, or the man hanging. Out. And the other thing that I've come to realize too, as I've kind of listened into all these stories over the years, is that and I, as I feel into this myself as a parent. The last spiritual assignment, if you'll allow me to say it this way, for the parent is to take the loss. It is their job to take the loss of their emerging independent adult son or daughter. It is not the young man's or young woman's job to cushion the blow. Now, we hope that they remain relational and transition. So now my connection to my son's different. So I helped him move into his place and he doesn't want my opinion about where he should put things. And so I have to learn to sit back and just hang out, you know, and it's a different role for me. And so the parent has to make the adjustment. It is not up to the child to cushion the blow. Yeah. So the misconception is, is that, and the other one is may not be where you were going is that can't I both love my mother in the same way I once did? show up every every holiday in terms of what she wants and be available to my romantic partner and the short answer is you can't do both you can't do mo- you can't compromise and split it down the middle that's the other misconception is i can split my loyalties down the middle and the truth is romance requires full loyalty and gently but turning the back on the parent not not rejecting the parent but Putting the parent in the rearview mirror. So another misconception is, is I can divide my loyalties and get away with it and have everybody be happy. But the truth is nobody's happy. Right. Not the mother, not the
0: girlfriend, and not the man himself. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a predicament. I think, you know, the interesting thing is I've seen I've seen many men go through this kind of relationship you know, whether they were parentified by mom and, you know, sort of needed to become the man of the house or surrogate husband, or, you know, playing the role of emotional caretaker, what, you know, whatever the, whatever the sort of, I guess, a quality is like whatever built that. But it does seem like many men that are in that situation are trying to figure out how do I be everything for everyone? You know, how do I be everything for mom and everything for my wife or my girlfriend, everything for my kids and and it, they they really are torn. You know that's one of the qualities that I often hear hear from men. So you spoke about the price that men pay. Can you can you just describe that a little bit more for for the for the people that are listening? Because I think that that's important also. For I think we've we've defined one or two of them, but I'd like for you to maybe just refine that a little bit more.
1: I'll, tell you what, I'll give you some specifics in a moment. But the comment that comes to mind was a profound statement from a man in one of the workshops. He said, I allowed life to be formed around me, and I sit in despair as I imagine what my life would have been like had I listened to my inner voice and followed my own passionate interest. I allowed life to be formed around me. And so I would say in a broad way, that's the the biggest price these men paid is they never quite get a hold of who they are and where they're going fully. Now, that isn't to say that they don't do some things that have alignment with their true selves, but they're always pulling along this this weight of guilt. So there's a lot of guilt around many, many experiences that other people just don't think twice about, right? They tend to lack sometimes passionate interests or definitions of self. So what where do you want to eat? Uh, wherever you want to eat. You know, it's this sort of conciliatory, sort of nice guy role. Now, we have the opposite extreme. Some of these men emerge from these relationships, and they become very angry and rigid and dismissive, too. So we can see some of that. We do see some sexual issues, not surprising, because You know, the truth is you need your full presence to be romantically and erotically present, right? You can't have one foot in your childhood with your mother and one foot in your romantic with your romantic partner and expect yourself to show up. And that includes erotically, Mm. right? So we get some sexual dysfunctions. We get sexual compulsion or sexual addiction. We had chatted briefly about that. where compulsively being driven to being sexual in my mind with an image on the screen while I masturbate or something. Well, this person is making no demands on me. So I can be fully present. I can be fully erect. So we see guys who can't find themselves passionately available to their partners because the partner has become a burden. She wants too much. She's entrapping me. She's engulfing me. She's too needy. And and what they don't realize is much of that is often a projection from the past. Now, sometimes they can choose a partner who is indeed a replication of the mother, right? So I go out and I find a partner, a woman, who happens to be controlling, dominant, needy, and demanding, and and is, is not my peer anymore. She's trying to be my parent. More often, we see guys projecting. So, and so over time, the romance feels like a burden. And so we see guys splitting off and having affairs. We see guys shutting down, losing interest, you know, multiple relationships and so forth. Just, just feeling as if romance is a big burden, because obviously in a long-term commitment, there's a lot of nuanced obligatory moments, right? It's just the way it works. And so if you come from a background in which you were obligated to take care of your mother when you had no choice in the matter, that becomes a very murky experience. You know, what's, what's a normal obligation to my wife? You know, she's, she's hurting and how can I help versus, oh, you're just like my mother. Why do I even need to do this, right? So that becomes a very conflicted set of experiences, and so I just give up. I shut down sexually. I go act out sexually. Sometimes, you know, we've had a couple, I always share this, we have had a couple of women who I had a consultation with the wives of two men who came to my workshop, uh, different different workshops. They didn't know each other. Unsolicited for me, both of the women said, oh, that's the best sex I ever had with him after the workshop. <laughs> and uh, I, I always tell guys, I can't promise that. But what it told me is these guys were free. I don't. I'm not obligated to my mother. I can be fully erect emotionally and otherwise over here. So that that probably is the biggest consequence. Is that I never quite fully passionately show up in my own life. We've had guys do careers. Oops, sorry. But we've had guys do careers that their mothers or families had had aligned for them, but not their own interest.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the interesting parts that stood out to me about your work is that you you have these, you know, very clear archetypes, right? The womanizer, the burned out caretaker, the cyber sex addict, the man who can't commit. And you know, I think what's interesting is that a lot of men find themselves in that situation. You know, they find themselves fitting into that that archetype or those molds. And I'm curious as to I'm curious as to what are some of the components that build that. You know, when you look at when you look at somebody like the the womanizer or the burned out caretaker, like what is it about that relationship with mom that starts to convince a man to to womanize or be this burned out caretaker or struggle to to commit? Because I think that those are very common things that a lot of men will will deal with.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're you're articulating. Probably what we see as a continuum. So on. So when we. So you're right. We created these archetypes to kind of give a broad definition. Another way to think about this is is that the men's relationship to their mothers, in which there's an over involvement as an enmeshment, sort of falls on a continuum. On one end, we have the the caretaker, the mommy. I won't leave you. I'll take care of you. You're hurting. I'll listen to your problems you know, I'll fix the plumbing, I'll cut the grass, daddy's an alcoholic, or he's always drunk, or he's gone. And and on the other end, we have the sexualized boyfriend, the mother who, you know, is making comments about his body or parades him around like she's like he's a handsome young man parading him around as if she he's her boyfriend. So not surprising, this end over here will be the this, this emotional caretaker who's always trying to help others because that's what he was trained to do, right? Over here is the sexualized, over-sexualized young man who goes out and does that over and over again with other women. So, and then of course, we have guys who fall in between. And in that group, all of them are ambivalent. All of them, so they may have a public image so this guy over here, yeah, I'm here for you, but but I hope you don't want too much from me. So pretty soon he begins to withdraw. Down here, you know, Mr. Womanizer, he convinces a woman that she's the one, but as soon as he captures her, he's gone because he wants nothing to do with commitment. So this ambivalence around commitment is consistent across the board. Even though outside, I may look like I can commit to you.
0: Yeah, and a lot of that from what, if I'm hearing you correctly, a lot of that, what you're saying is from that mother-child relationship where the boy is put into this position of feeling like there's so much that he's required to do or to be or to provide and there's this simultaneous like sort of moving towards it and then rejecting it as as an adult that's that's replaying. Is that roughly accurate? Yeah. Oh, that's that's brilliant. No, I think that's right. On. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And and how does the, maybe just tell me a little bit more about the, the some of the sexual addiction components that can come out of this, because I worked with quite a few men that, you know, have had do exactly what you're you're saying, you know, the divorce happens and then, you know, mom takes the boy everywhere, goes into the nail salon, goes into the hairdressing salon, is making comments about, you know, him, you know, don't, don't think that he's my boyfriend and, you know, that, that kind of stuff and very much sexualizing the boy, which is strange for him to experience. And then later on in life, you know, he's got a, a lot of this sort of sexual acting out that happens. But I would love for you to just speak a little bit more to the compulsive nature and what starts to build and breed that that sort of sexual exploitiveness that can happen in a man's life later on.
1: yeah, that's a good question. so i'm I'm thinking that there probably are two major veins if we want to think about it this way. So on one hand, if I'm burdened with too much obligation, then by going off and being sexual with somebody I'm not obligated to, a porn image, a video image, a sex worker, maybe even an affair partner, I feel free, not emotionally obligated to. So I, I experience myself, maybe the only time, free. So in, from that perspective, the sexual acting out, the addiction, the compulsion becomes a compensation, a of, of false representation of freedom. But the truth is, I'm really not free. So I have to do it over and over and over and over again. That's where you get the compulsivity. And if it's a true addiction, then eventually tolerance emerges and I start to satiate and I need more experiences, more extremes and so forth to do that. And if I'm angry on top of it because of what's happened with my mother, I might infuse some anger in this. So I might use women or use sexual partners. I might betray and violate them. I might even abuse them, right? So we can see some of that. The other sort of vein of how this works is when the son is sexualized too much in the ways that you mentioned. So he feels more like a boyfriend and he's not, maybe there's no overt sexual contact. Although when we see these sexualized boyfriends, we do tend to get stories like he's having to zip up her dress or he comes home drunk in high school, and she wants to snuggle with him, or sometimes sleeping in the bed. So sometimes there are stories that aren't overtly sexual, via, sort of overt sexual abuse, but my colleagues and I would still qualify them as sexual violations. So in that case, we have a hyper-aroused man, way too much stimulation. So this incestuous attraction, but repulsion, right? I'm not supposed to feel aroused, or my mother's not supposed to be attracted to me. So I embed in myself this sort of conflict. So I'm drawn to taboo situations, things I shouldn't do. Because the original erotic story is there. I'm doing something I shouldn't do. So I take that and I transfer it. So I'm over... I'm repeating it over again, trying to conquer the moment, trying to fix the moment. One of my colleagues talked, used the term the phrase, turning tragedy into triumph. If I have to deal with this, I'm going to be the one to decide when I leave.
0: I'll use you, and then I'll leave you. I'll use you, and I'll leave you. get your, your take on, on one thing that just sort of popped up through this, which is, can enmeshment happen between a mother and a son through something like conflict? Because I've seen a number of men who have this sort of strange dynamic with their mother where they're very close with them, but they're constantly constantly like bickering. And there seems to be this lack in their ability to, to detach in a healthy way and to set boundaries and structure with them. So I was curious to get your perspective on that.
1: Well, sure, you, you can see high conflict in, in a mesh diet, right? And they're fighting almost as if they're lovers, right? And and so you you can't see that. That by itself doesn't really define enmeshment. We'd have to see this sort of guilty obligatory entanglement in which the role assignment of the boy that and the man is to take care of or to be there at the cost to his own life. So again, there's, there's your dividing line. And, you know, I do want to mention, and it occurred to me when I was describing the, the man who's oversexualized. And, you know, all children, you know, fall in love with their parents, right? And so Freud, of course, talked about the edible phase of children. And, and a lot of people have dismissed some of his work, but I think he was right on in this case. And I remember my son wanting to marry my wife when he was, I don't know, he was about five years old. And a lot of children who are very precocious want to marry mommy or daddy. And it just is a normal biological unfolding. They're not reading Freud. They're not watching Disney and picking this up. This is just a normal the early bud or budding of the erotic story is I fall in love with mommy. She's my she's the one I love. She loves me. But then, oops, she has daddy. And she says to me, that's very sweet that you want to marry me. But one day you'll marry somebody else. And so so he goes on and he has a crush with somebody at school. He has a crush on a teacher. And eventually he has, you know, maybe an early romance. And he's free to take his I fall in love with mommy out out of the house. So he gets to unfold that biological story, that erotic story, free of obligation. But if mommy says, no, 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 don't leave me, don't go too far, I need you, now he's trapped, now he's
0: engulfed,
1: now he's in conflict, now he's in a bind with his sexuality, with his freedom, with his ability to be romantic, and we just go right down the list. So let me just say, you know, to your listeners and viewers here, of course, that, that this, this love of faith in child and parent is very normative. Frankly, we have kids who aren't getting enough of that love. And that's, that, we, that has its own problematic outcome in our culture here in the States, in my opinion. Too, too many kids without empathy. But that's not really who we're talking about today. We're talking about the kids who have almost too much to turn tuned in to others.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and, and that be yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And it's very well articulated and it, you know, where it, where it leads me, cause I can kind of hear my listeners now being like, okay, well, where, where do we go? How do we begin to untangle? Like, how do we start? What threads do we begin to pull at first in order to create that separation, that sovereignty that, that is, you know, certainly necessary in this, in this example.
1: I love, I love the phrase sovereignty. I don't think I've ever used or heard that. That's a great, that's a great phrase. I often use the word emancipation, but I like sovereignty too, yeah. So emancipation, first of all, is not negotiation. So the first step is to challenge the belief system. Because you can set as many boundaries as you want, you can move across the country, you can have a rigid boundary. But if internally you have not reconciled, that uh, this is not an obligation, mom. I mean, a negotiation. I'm free. My job is to be who I am. Your job is to support me in that, period. Right, so that the first really order of change is in the belief. Now, it would be nice if you get the blessing from your parent, from your mom, but you don't need it. So the first step is to confront the belief and sort of simultaneous to that, Is probably a set of boundaries. You know, I know you've been used to calling me daily. Got to change that. You and I will visit once a week. So beginning to have a set of boundaries becomes important here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, do you feel like there is different degrees of action based on the severity of of what you have seen the clients go through in the past. I'm just curious about that.
1: Yes, for sure. You know, sometimes we have parents who are retaliatory, quite toxic, assaultive in a way. And so the boundaries have to be more rigid in terms of maybe not seeing them as often or so forth. Ideally, what we want, what we tend to see is we tend to see a period of distancing, in which you know I now am involved in my own life, and yes, I'm going to visit with you, and we all, almost always, or sometimes, will suggest you know four seasons, not not amputation. So other thing we we talk with these men about is that emancipation is not amputation. Nobody's encouraging you to amputate your parents. In fact amputating them is not emancipation. You're not going to feel free. You're going to feel guilty. So your job is to hold your own ground and to show up in your mother's presence. That's very nice that you're having a hard time. And I'm sure you're going to work that out, but I have to run. I have a date with my girlfriend or whatever the case is. I'll talk to you at Easter, right? So the freedom to be able to do that. And so building on that, Sovereignty, building on that emancipation, finding moments to keep finding that with your parents. Geez, you know, I mentioned to you that I didn't want to text five times a day. I noticed you had texted me four times yesterday. Now you seem bothered that I didn't get back with you till the weekend. Mom, I still love you, but the truth is things are changing. I really need some space and I need you to honor that. And the more that you can honor that, the more, the more I want to return and say hello to you. So that's the irony, and that's the win-win for the parent, is that, and this is what the family therapist, the family system clinicians discovered about functional families, is the irony is is the more separation permitted, the more reciprocation occurs to want to be close in return. So if I'm not obligated to, you, I do want to visit you. I do want to find out how you're doing. So Helping a man get to that point where he's his own man and that his priorities is himself, his journey around his career, profession, or interest, his romantic partner, his kids, then his parents. Notice how far down the list that, that occurred. And that has to be that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is, and what I'm curious to get your thoughts on are what's the natural resistance that most men go through in this type of experience cuz i again having worked having worked with a lot of men in in this space although you know certainly not as many as i'm sure that you've <laughs> witnessed over the years one thing is that there's this fear of going against mom there is a concern of what will happen to her, and all all of those attachments that that they that they seem to be enthralled by, and so I'd love to hear a little bit of your your expertise on what realistically should or can they expect to have to confront, because I think sometimes you know we as men can get hyper rational and try and find a way through a situation without any form of confrontation or with you know without hurting somebody's feelings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, that's a good. So in some ways, you've answered your question that there is conflict to to, to face typically. And I notice a lot of men try to tiptoe around it, and and try to hope that if I make an exchange by calling you, sometimes you'll give me my freedom. It, it doesn't work that way. And so there has to be a fairly firm—I'm going to use that word on purpose—a firm, upright presence. Mom, I'm not your little. So there almost always has to be a bit of a conversation. I should say not a conversation because it really isn't. I'm not seeking your permission. But I need to be my own man. And the truth is, is I'm not your little boy anymore. I need you to get used to that. And I need you to accommodate the changes in my life. The more you can do that, the easier it is for me to want to check in and see how you are. There's probably no avoiding that conversation to a degree. And usually the men feel very guilty, as you mentioned. So you kind of answered your own question. And they can't even imagine having that conversation. But the truth is, people do it all the time. with functional families. They have these conversations. I'm changing, mom. I'm changing, dad. I need you to change with me. People do that. People in functional systems that roll with these developmental changes have those conversations. So they redefine their relationship so they stay connected through the developmental changes. And these MEsh systems we're not allowed to do that. And so guilt is the first thing they'll face and they have to push through that. Now, sometimes from the other end, the parent will make overt guilt-provoking statements. And you just have to push back on that. Look, I'm not going to fall for that anymore. You've got to stop. I'm not responsible for you. So sometimes there's a hard edge that has to emerge spoken respectfully and even lovingly, but firmly. So coming up against the guilt is probably the biggest issue. And feeling as if my mother can't do without me, and she's going to collapse. And the truth is, as many times as I've listened to these stories, I've not seen that. (laughs) Now We have some parents who get very angry. Some will get really retaliatory. But most, if they're smart, they will find their place because they don't want to lose their son. The other resistance, and I mentioned this earlier to you, is sometimes the man doesn't want to let go of his special role. He wants to be his mommy's golden boy. He wants to be his mommy's savior. His identity has formed around that role. And so he doesn't he doesn't really experience it as conflictual per se. His woman does, but he doesn't sometimes. So confronting that within himself, it's time for me not to be the golden boy. I have to be a little ugly here with my mom, not be so attractive. And I say that tongue in cheek, but I really mean that. I don't mean you get belligerent or abusive. But you know what? Sounds like you're having a hard day. I got to run though. We'll check in. And I'll, I'll see you at Christmas or whatever holiday I'm showing up here. You know. And so there has to be a little bit of willingness to have not my problem. And that's hard for these men to do. How do I? step into my own life and say, this is not my problem anymore, and still love you. That really is the the relationship that the man is looking to establish. I love you. I care about you. But I'm going to do it on my terms, mom. And being at your beck and call is no longer part of the contract. So we have men that we work with in the workshops, for example, who say that directly. they come right out and say that. I get, I get, I get emails from mothers. Sometimes i mean, actually my son. What do I do? And I have to tell you, I have a lot of respect for parents who who seek me out. Now, sometimes I get mail and emails from parents who tell me how crazy their son is for wanting to do this. But there are times, <laughs> I get, there are times I get really validating responses. Yeah. So, and if there's an addiction, I think they've got to go off and get work Done on their addiction issues for sure,
0: yeah I feel like you know for for time's sake we'll have to pause on that part of the conversation, but I would genuinely love to have you back at some point to talk about sexual addiction because you've you've sure. written quite a bit about that and and it's you know it's something that I see a, a lot of men you know sort of navigating through uh, whether it's a porn addiction or sex addiction etc cetera. Et cetera. so we'll certainly have to have you back on the show to talk about that my last question is is around dad where's dad in this in this picture you know is he obviously there's there's the the sort of like classic absent father which you know we know is is very sort of detrimental to to young men but do you see a lot of of situations where dad has fallen into the the trappings of him being enmeshed with his mother, like, is this just like a generational thing? Or what do you generally see with the fathers in these types of situations and the work that a man has to do after he starts to move away from, from mom and set his own boundaries and create that sovereignty?
1: Yeah. So yeah, not surprising. The fathers to one degree or another are, can be passive or absent for different reasons. and We probably don't have time to go into them all. So addictions, alcoholism, divorce, you know, sort of, rigid roles around masculinity. I let the women do the parenting. I'm not involved, I'll go to the, I'll play football with them, but I won't do much else with him. And so sometimes the rigid rigidity around masculine role identity can be problematic here. Sometimes, sometimes the father gives up and says, I can't compete with that. Uh He adores me, my young son, she adores him, but she doesn't adore me like she adores him. And I can't adore her like he does. So I'm just going to give up and go off and have an affair or go off and play golf or get drunk or whatever I do. And But I'm going to give up on this. So instead, the father has to keep a connection with the son and the romantic partner. He has an active role to play to make sure the enmeshment doesn't happen. He's got to stay involved. And the, the last thing I'll say for the man who is emerging from enmeshment with his mother, is he has, sometimes the mother has made the father bad. Sometimes divert, divert, deserving so, sometimes not. At some point, the man has to say, I no longer accept your version of my father. I need my own. I'm no longer identified or merged with your perception of him. I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. He needs a clear internal boundary No. I'm not taking on your version of him. I got to find my own. So it's amazing to me to see how many men in these MS situations have come to hate or distance themselves from their fathers because they've absorbed their mother's anger at her husband. And he's become an ally in that anger. And it's not even his perception, but he doesn't know.
0: Beautiful, beautiful response and such a perfect place for us to, to pause for today. And you know, I think partially the reason why I asked you that that last question was so that the men that are listening to this, that are fathers, can be aware of that dynamic that could potentially emerge. You know, even if it hasn't emerged in their in their upbringing, that could potentially emerge with their own sons within their household. So, thank you so much, Dr. Adams. This is a phenomenal conversation. Certainly, would love to have you back on the show. We'll have links in the show notes to your work and your books and your and your website, and. Yeah. And so thank you again. And for everyone that's out there listening, definitely man it forward, share this episode with somebody that you know will enjoy it and could benefit from it. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.